All right, guys, we're live for the uh, 62nd installment of the Unplugged Alpha podcast series. Um, number 62, Brutal Divorce and Why I Warn Men About Marriage. Uh, today, my guest is Kevin Morris. Um, if you guys were watching last week's show, he called in very briefly uh, and sent me a long email that same day um, all about his divorce situation. So, Long story short, it's pretty messed up. Um, these stories always are. Uh, I think there's a lot of lessons here, and I want you guys to kind of hear out what's what's gone down so that you can identify red flags because there's still a ton of you guys out that are like, look, Rich, I want to have kids. I want to get married. How do I do it? How do I minimize the risk? I'm sure we'll get some of those out of this, but you're going to hear some pretty crazy shit tonight, you know, if I'm being honest. Like, I've had guys on in the past where their ex-wives or you know when they were married they tried they tried poisoning them like you know you know collect the insurance money there's all kinds of crazy stuff that i've come across over the years and this one's going to be its own version of nuts kevin um a few questions how old are you and where do you live again yeah sure i am 51 and i live in vancouver bc just okay. on the and if I recall correctly, by going through some of the material and the links you gave me, um, you met your wife. She's Ukrainian. Was it in Eastern Europe that you guys met or did you meet her here? Yeah, actually, we met in Kiev, Ukraine, the capital, while I was living and studying there. Okay. And how long ago did you meet her? We met in around 2001. Uh, she was actually born and raised in Russia, but then she moved to Ukraine at 14. And then we met in Kiev in 2001. And you guys were working together? You guys were in school together? Or how did you cross paths? Going to school together. She was literally a friend of a colleague. Mm -hmm. So happened very quickly. And how did you guys end up in um, British Columbia? Yeah, no, it's a good story. So uh, very briefly, we married, uh, actually married really soon in February of 2002. Submitted the documents to local Canadian embassy. And then six months later, she got her immigration papers. So we arrived in Canada in uh, 2002, September, and then we moved to BC uh, two years later. So been in Vancouver yeah. ever since. And I'm going to keep going through the back end story, but just to sort of fast forward to where we are today, Kevin's kids are now all the way across the country in Prince Edward Island. Uh, she left, took them, did a whole bunch of nefarious stuff, which we're going to go through. And he's kind of trying to figure out how to get them back. Was this a meal ticket for her to kind of get from Ukraine to Canada? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to say. In hindsight, there definitely were some clues. If I can think about like defining moments in terms of our marriage, and we were married for 16 years by the time we got separated. So the only red flags I can feel like is she got her passport and we started having children around the same time. And when she got her Canadian passport and the children, everything just kind of seemed to change. And so I often break up that 16 years of marriage into two eight-year blocks. The first eight years were some sense of normalcy and then the, the last eight years were just like complete like dr jekyll and mr high the last eight years were a completely different person were there any that, precursors that been... to like like the craziness that came after the first eight years like did you see anything before you got married or before you brought her to canada or any of those things you know we met and got married within inside of seven months and so that in hindsight would have been a really big i know i saw your eyebrows go that's up. hey listen that's you know that's one of the things i warn about in my book is make sure you really you know sort of size her up for a good couple of years to see what she's made of right right higher slow fire fast right that's one of your chapters so yeah uh so i didn't take the time to really uh to hire her slow it was it was way too quick 
uh, we started living together almost immediately, like literally by day three, we were living together. And so I kind of felt at that time that I was committed to her. I needed to take care of her. And before you knew it, we were married. How old was she when you met her? uh, Married. She was about 20 years old when we met, when we, when we met. So she was 20. You were about what? 30. I'm trying to do the math. 36, 37. Eight, there was eight years difference. So I was just about 29 years old. And oh, then 29, okay. We got married when I was uh, when I was 30 and she was uh, 22. So around that age, right, age range there. So yeah, it was, I married her pretty young. Okay. Uh, that said, even at 22, she felt like, well, at least in her country, in Ukraine, she felt like she was an old maid. In other words, most of her friends had already been married and had kids and she was feeling all kinds of pressure. And you said you were married for 16 years. How long did you know her before you guys got married? The seven months. Oh, so seven months and then 16 years. Hang on, the numbers don't add up because you said that you met her in your late 20s. You're, you're in your 50s now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we met when I was 29, got married when uh, when I was 30. We were married for 16 years. That's when I was 46. And for the mm-hmm. past, we've been separated now for four and a half years. So oh, so you've been fighting this for the last few years then? Uh, almost a half a decade. And I, and literally fighting as in like I just got the last judgment in on August 26th, uh, less than two months ago. So this is this is real. This is happening. This is live. Okay, got it. Um, why don't you take us through all the bullet points that you emailed me here so to kind of you know enlighten the audience? And guys, if you have questions, you can drop them in the chat, and I'll uh, I'll throw them up on the screen. I'll let Kevin answer them as it's relevant. Sure. Well, you know, I when I was thinking about how to share this with your community, and, and first of all, I, I appreciate you. You know, taking the time to hear and share my story with your community. Um, I wanted to focus sort of on the the two years prior to separation because you can see this pattern, if you will. And then the months leading up to separation, just like wild, crazy. And I feel like that will provide a lot of the backstory rather than hearing about, you know, how was the marriage for the first kind of 10 years. So um, it's okay. So in the two years prior to separation, uh, at that point, you know, things weren't well in the relationship. Uh, she was basically separating herself and she was asking for divorce on a pretty regular basis. And so uh, two years before we separated, I started going to, I kind of joke, I say, I go started going to marriage counseling by myself, which is just another way of saying that I was going every week and she only attended maybe three or four sessions. sessions. So she was really not interested in participating or engaging in any sort of dialogue. So and during- well, it's not it's not very productive even when you go together. You know, with her not going at all, it's a colossal waste of time. I would imagine you were just working on yourself then, right? Well, I did at that time absolutely focus on myself, but at the same time, I still thought I could save the marriage, um, mm. right or wrongly. Uh, also, during this time, keep in mind uh, she was she'd finished her master's degree here at the University of British Columbia. Uh, by this time, she'd already enrolled in the PhD program in education at UBC. So she was heavy in all this sort of university campus stuff. And it's around that time that she started attending these university dance groups and parties. And she was always passionate about dance uh, from her, you know, from her years growing up. But this time it was a little bit different. So she started going out on like weekend events. And then those weekend events started turning into like late evenings and then clubs downtown. And then these, by meeting all these people, she started having one-on-one interactions with other guys. And I know this part isn't in any of the materials that I sent you because it's pretty hard to put that in a court document, but she started meeting kind of like a series of guys and what you we would commonly call white knights. So for example, she met one guy named Ed and this was like, this guy started sort of counseling her on 
the Canadian legal system. And then she met another guy named Colin Ford, like this total burnt out rocker for downtown. That was another white knight also counseling her on the Canadian legal system. And then she started hanging out with another boy going on like these day trips. She was going out for dinners. And then I even found out later that she started going out on dates with this guy with my kids. So I have two young kids at that time and they were going to playgrounds. I even saw pictures later on of them at the pool together. So she is just, imagine taking my kids out with some other guy on these quasi dates. So and let me just talk for a yeah, So yeah. why did you let her do all this? Like, why did you permit her to, to, to go out and party and, and dance all night? I objected, but she um, basically told me that it isn't cheating as long as I know about it. And I said it was wrong. I know, I know. <laughs> she specifically told me it's not cheating if you know about it. And I said, it's, this is wrong. There's no point in being married if she's going to go out and date other men. You guys had the and kids even, at that point? Yeah, we had was the kids. Was she doing this they before were, the kids came along? No, only after the children came along. Hmm. Okay. And by that time, her mother was living with us. So I had my mother. Oh, oh, here we go. The babushka showed up already, eh? Yeah, babushka, totally. And and straight to the point, like all she can speak is Russian. So, you know, if you can imagine how. So they're uh, having their conversations in front of you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've seen this movie before, but yeah. Okay. So carry on. Yeah. And just as an aside, I do understand Ukrainian and Russian. So anything they're talking about, I know what they're talking about. Okay. So even her mother was getting on her, but she just didn't seem to care. And even during this time, she offered what I now retroactively call the ultimate simp solution. She offered to me, and no joke, she said, if I would continue to provide for her financially, Mm -hmm. we could all live together while she continued dating. Now, I knew this was just her long game of trying to figure out how can I sort of stretch the situation until I find myself a better situation and then, you know, screw off. How old were the kids at that point? They were like six and three, growing up to seven and four. Like they're they're quite young still at this point. Um, Okay. And... I mean, like if you got young kids, I mean, you're already, you're already in a jam and you're dealing with a chick that's already doing what she wants and you don't have any authority over the behavior that she's pulling. Yeah. Um, You didn't see this before you got married. She only started pulling this after. I mean, you saw no signs of this before you got married? The only sign before we got married is that she always told me that she wanted a husband that was just like her father. And her father was... Well, he wasn't a retired uh, uh, army colonel, so I felt like in the Red Army. So I figured he was a pretty uh, stand-up person. But when I start reflecting after the fact, what that really meant is that he had a man that was basically doing everything, uh, sleeping separately from like his wife. Uh, what else was he doing? And he was basically doing everything, including research for her essays, typing her essays, doing homework for her, picking her up at her class. Um, she was like the little princess. When we met, I guess the other red flags were uh, she wouldn't clean. She refused to clean. She thought it was beneath her. She refused to work. Um, she thought that those jobs were beneath her. And she didn't know how to cook, which may seem like a small thing. But it's one thing not to know how to cook. You can kind of accept that. But when you kind of refuse to cook and you expect someone else to do everything for you, then, yeah, that should have been a red flag. And for whatever reason, I yeah, was just would... too starry-eyed. What, what was your experience with women, you know, before you met this uh ukrainian lady 
I hadn't dated for a few years because I was too busy traveling around Europe at the time, like for several years. I had maybe, I would say, two serious relationships before that, but uh, nothing groundbreaking. Yeah, I've always said that Eastern European women are women on hard mode. A lot of a lot of guys dig their vibe. Hey, look, I know, you know, I fell for it for quite a few years in my twenties. I dated, you know, Eastern European women almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are women on hard mode. They're very hot. They're attractive. They're sultry, but uh, they're a handful too. Anyway, yes, keep going. I agree. Fill us in yeah, there. fill us in. Okay, so so you asked me how I couldn't stop this. I mean, I physically can't stop her from leaving. She's leaving. I at this point, I'm not working in Canada anyway. You can't, right? Exactly. I mean, there's nothing. My hands are tied. Literally, I can't force her from leaving. She said she's going, and so I was basically sitting at home, taking care of the kids and taking care of her, of her mother. Mm-hmm. So, along the way, as I mentioned, she found one guy that ultimately fell, fell in love with her, and now we're getting close to the sort of the separation period. Now, in uh, a few times a year, she would go on these big four or five hour dinners with this colleague that also graduated here from uh, UBC, the University of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And then in January of 2018, she went to a conference in PEI. Yeah, you know where this is going already, right? And she spent four or five days staying at this man's house while she attended there. And then she, when she returned from her trip, she made the announcement that, to me that she was now in a serious relationship with this professor at uh, the University of Prince Edward Island. So, that kind of solidified things. And from there, things really, uh, really started to, to escalate. And now all along, I kind of felt like, like I was objecting to her going out, but also part of me felt like, and I feel kind of, I was stupid to think this, but I thought that she'd never cheat on me because of her strong Ukrainian morals. And in hindsight, I just think it's probably highly unlikely that she was faithful during that time. And even during the trial, when I can my assure lawyers... you, she wasn't faithful during much of the marriage, the way that you describe it. <laughs> well, even during the trial when my lawyer was cross-examining her when the lawyer mentioned about you know this infidelity you should have seen how upset she got on she felt so she reacted so indignant like how dare you ask me this question like she really got upset and in fact that outburst basically told everyone in the courtroom that yeah the likelihood of her being uh faithful was pretty pretty small did she end up bringing the babushka with her over to pei as well no, she's leaving us all home. So she's leaving us all here in Vancouver to basically do our thing. Yeah. No, sorry. So you're in Vancouver, but she's in PEI, right? She just moved September 6th of 2022. So we're talking she, just over Did she bring ago. her mother with her too? She passed away. She passed away. I see. Yeah. Okay. But the kids are with her right now. The kids are with her right now. She and the kids. new boyfriend, you know, with the professor. Uh, they're engaged to be married. I see. And that's where they're living right now. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you've got some points here about some of the stuff that went on during the breakup as well. Can you go through those? Yeah, sure. So, um, so she announces she's in this big, this new serious relationship and things really start to escalate. This is mid January. At this point, she's now vocally telling the children that I am not their father. Stop calling me dad. Stop calling me Papa. He's not your father. We're going to get a new father. She would, if we would start playing on the ground, she would like pick them up and say, okay, it's time for bedtime come with me, sometimes even hurting them. And I'm taking audio of these situations because I realized things are really starting to get out of control. Uh, she's also excluding me from dinner, from food activities, any sort of activities I do with the family. And then on February 23rd... You're still living under the same roof at this time? Yeah. So she's attempting to alienate you from the kids even under the same house? 
Well, I wouldn't use the word attempting. She is. She was. Alienating. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and on February 23rd, this is 2018, uh, she committed domestic violence. And so, uh, and there can't be any uncertainty about that because I do have it on audio. Mm-hmm. And on the next day, on the February 24th, I went down to the RCMB station. Um, uh, just the way things work in Canada here for our U.S. friends, I'm on the endowment lands, like university property. And so that's mm-hmm. federal land and then under the jurisdiction of the RCMP or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and not the local Vancouver police. So just explaining that quickly. Uh, she, I went down to talk with Constable Thompson and asked him what would happen if I pressed charges. And he basically said if she gets arrested then she won't be able to work with children. And that was her whole entire career. And so I didn't want to basically torpedo her entire career. I at that moment decided I'm going to deal with it through the family courts, not through criminal court. That was a big mistake. Things are escalating, getting worse. That's February 23rd. On March 7th, this is where- By this point though, like she's already going out for long weekends. She's partying, she's doing dinners. You're, you know, she's alienating from the kids. Um, why did you play the nice guy card? I knew from talking with her that she wasn't going to be negotiating. Now, at this point, we already knew that we were moving out. So it was just survival mode at this point. Just trying no, to No, but I mean, like you had time. an opportunity to basically pivot the direction of this uh, untying of the knot in your favor. And you didn't take that. Like, I mean, with divorce, look, man, it's talking to people watching right now because it's a little bit too late for you but it's like look i mean the woman you marry is not the woman that you divorce and in situations like this where you see the writing on the wall you have to take any opportunity if ever it shows up and it's rare you had a good opportunity but i mean you just played the nice guy card and just continued on with the you know let's go through the due process like why did you do that i felt like i was i invested so many years in her education helping her get through and get a career that if I had pursued domestic violence charges against her and had her prosecute, had her arrested, that that would undo all that work I had done. And what I did still you do exactly that, that was the DV issue on the twenty third. Yeah, when you had to deal with yeah. RCMP for Shut, the DV issue, slapping on the face, uh, hitting in the stomach, and hitting me with uh, objects in the kitchen, like physical. And yeah. you had proof of that too, right? Like you had, like I the cops were like, "Yes, okay, yes, yes, yes." That have been. Well, the cops didn't, they, when they, you submit anything to like here, at least in BC, they told me the process is it gets submitted. They take all the evidence and then it goes to the prosecutor's office and they decide whether to continue the investigation or did not. Did you have visible injuries on your body from her? I did. I took a couple of pictures, but I didn't pursue it at the time. Hmm. Just okay. stupidity on my part. All right. So you let that one go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then on March 7th, uh, 2018, so we're talking just a couple of weeks later. Uh, again, there was a, an altercation where she was, um, and I had the whole thing on on audio, like from start until finish, it was only seven minutes long. And she basically escalates super fast. She starts hitting me, she's punching me, she's kicking me. And eventually it ends with me calling uh, 911. That's when the audio cuts off. And so I did call the RCMP. They did come uh, to the house and they obviously, the police come in, right? They're separating everybody. They take me downstairs and leave her up here upstairs with the in, the in our home with the children, take different statements. Mm-hmm. And then the police came back and said, well, she said a different statement than you do. And I said, well, I have the whole thing on audio. They didn't bother to listen to the audio. They just said, we need you to leave. And I said, well, why should I leave? I'm not the person who, who assaulted this. They came back and she's refusing to leave. I'll put here that you cooperated 
if at least you'll leave for a 24 hour cooling off period. So I thought, okay, fine, but make sure you put in there that I cooperate. I decided I just need to grab my, my stuff because I was afraid she was going to destroy it. And I, I left that night and I stayed at a friend's house that night. Mm. So, um, that night, did you have a lawyer at that time? Only on consultant basis. So I was talking with a lawyer, but I hadn't retained a lawyer yet. Did you get any feedback from the lawyer about the DV issues? You know, because she's obviously an aggressive person if she's punching and hitting you all these times, right? Yeah. He told me that the next time she does it to call the police and have it stopped. Okay. So you were the one that initiated the call. You were the one that had the recording. And even yeah. though you had the evidence, they still made you leave. Yes. Did you get a chance to call your lawyer that night? Um, no, Before I did Before you not. left? No? Okay. No, I did not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I leave. No charges are pressed. That night, she runs to the hospital, uh, Vancouver General Hospital here in Center <clears throat> City. And she tells the hospital social workers that I'm abusing her. And uh, later on, and I know this because later on, I got the reports from the hospital and she specifically said she told the nurse. And then later on, a social worker from there came to interview her. And at that point, that triggers the MCFD, which is the Ministry of uh, Family and Child Development. These are the social workers that can take kids away. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a scary thing. So all this is happening and I'm just, I get like, I'm staying at my friend's place. And what am I doing? I'm transcribing this audio. because so I'm thinking like, oh, I've got to get back and I've not get back at her, but I mean, I've got to get, get this information to people so they can see it. And sure enough, the next morning at like nine o'clock in the morning, I get this phone call. I answer, you know, hello. Hi, this is the ministry of Fa uh, family and child development. Um, we're the social workers here. We hear that you're abusing your wife. <laughs> just like, I, I said, well, actually, that's funny you should say that because I'm just in the middle of transcribing the audio where she is physically assaulting me. Would you like to hear it? And everything changed. That first couple of minutes was extremely uncomfortable because they kept like this, sort of accusing me of doing this, accusing me of doing that. And then suddenly when I told them I had an audio tape and then she was like, can you be at your home today at 3 PM? And I said, yes. Can you bring the audio with me? And they said, yes. And so, um, I showed up that day. This is now March 8th, 2018. I show up at the home. She's here. And as she's walking in, she's holding up her hand with the little, you know, the little bandage thing on yelling in front of the children. Oh, you hurt me. You hurt me. You broke my hand. You broke my hand. And I'm just quiet. And I walk in and the, the social workers, they come in and they're now completely says, we need to hear the audio. First how thing. She, taking... How does she hurt her hand from hitting you? Yeah. 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 In fact, the results from the ministry, and they had to do it obviously an in investigation, mm -hmm. is the results from there in their report. They specifically say the mother likely injured her hand from assaulting the, the husband. Mm -hmm. In other words, and you know how it is, like if you do any sort of martial arts, if you don't know what you're doing and you're not clenching your fingers properly, you can easily hurt a finger, especially the way she was, you know, grabbing my stomach yeah, and course. kicking and punching. Mm -hmm. And even if you are trained, you know, your, your body's still going to react and try to protect yourself, you know, from the face or in the stomach. It's uncontrollable. So, um, yeah. So they drag me into their room and want to hear the audio tape. And they're just like, that's it. We're taking the kids away. You know, don't worry. Everything's going to be taken care of. And then they take her in the other room. 20 minutes later, they come out and say she's saying something completely different. Well, what is it? I'm mm -hmm. sorry, we don't have enough evidence to take the kids away. And then what my uh, ex did is uh, she left 
that day uh, with the children and there was nothing I could physically do to stop her from walking out the door. Now, you spent some time um, pleading this case in front of a judge. There was yeah. no benefit to that? Like what happened there? So we're talking from March 2018 to July 2021. We're talking almost you know three and a half years there. There was several adjournments that the mother tried to get because I think she realized it was a really hot case. Uh, so she gets two adjournments because she said she doesn't have a lawyer. And then we were supposed to have trial in April of 2020. But, you know, all the courts got shut down in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. So we were delayed until July 21st. So um, to answer your question, uh, what was the result from that court? Well, if I go back to one of your videos where you talk about uh, mothers in control and how they use children to take control of the situation, I knew before we separated based on conversations with her, like after she announces this, this serious relationship, she threatened that I was never gonna see my children again. She threatened to take them away. She threatened to leave the province. She threatened to move to PEI. She even threatened to move them to Ukraine. And so I, I knew, she even offered that if I would sign away the children in that spot, she said she'd never bother me for money for the rest of my life. Well, first of all, I knew that wasn't true. And second of all, I knew that this is a person that wasn't willing to negotiate. And so the court system was the only outlet that I had in order to take any control over either the situation or my children, because there was no way to, you know, negotiate or compromise with her. She was wanted me out of the children's life. Here in your notes, it says that you had a, a police enforcement order um, yeah. because she was non-compliant and giving you access to the children. Yeah. So uh, we separated on March 8, 2018. On March 12th, four days later, we appeared before uh, a judge who actually ended up being the trial judge. And during that appearance, we created a parenting order that basically gave me the children every weekend, except for one weekend a month. During the first 12 months after separation, I saw my daughter one weekend. During the first 12 months after separation, I saw my son the first six months after separation. And then the second, second six months, I didn't see him. The okay, one so weekend... Okay, so yep. sorry. So, so let me just recap here. So she was physically abusive to you, beating you. Yep. You have a court order that is supposed to let you have the kids every weekend except for one weekend, but you only saw them once in an entire year from what I understand. Yes. How did she end up with custody of the kids? Like, like who is this moron of a judge that allowed this to happen? Well, do you want his name? Let's hear it. Uh, Judge Gregory Rideout, R-I-D-E-O-I-O-U-T. And on what basis did he allow her to have the kids after all this evidence? The main issue during the trial was the issue of relocation. So uh, what he was trying to determine for the most part was that should the children be allowed to relocate to PEI or would they be required to stay here in Vancouver? And he didn't even deal there, with the fact that, that she didn't give you access to the kids. He thought, here's the funny part. So I actually had a judge in, in January of 2019 provide me with police enforcement, okay? Now, this mm -hmm. is so serious. If, if, if any of you fathers out there have been in a situation where a mother is withholding your children, you know there's almost nothing you can do. Explain I that. So a, what is police enforcement? Yeah, a police enforcement means the police are actually allowed to go in. And it says in the court order. It's, uh, so I went to a judge. The judge was furious. And the judge came back, a woman, by the way, and said, 
you now have police enforcement, and every time she withholds the children, you're subject to a $500 fine payable to the father. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, the trial judge says, oh, don't worry about it. You won't have to pay any fines, you know, even though you withheld them for a year. Okay, Anyways, but when you had the police enforcement, did you did you call the police when she didn't grant you access to pick up the kids? I did it twice. And so the police enforcement literally allows the, the police to go into the mother's home or, or any physical location they think the children may be mm -hmm. and retrieve the parents. After 12 months of not seeing the children, so between the time I got the court order and the time I used it, there was six weeks. During that six weeks, I was communicating with the mother's lawyer, the mother, with the school principal, the school, the children's teachers, and with the West Coast Family Center. The West Coast Family Center was appointed by the social workers to help manage the mother, you know, help her transition to a shared custody situation. Mm -hmm. And so after six weeks, my, my lawyer just said, look, you know, there's no point in getting it if you don't use it. It's time to use it. And so on on March 8th of So sorry, you let it happen six times before you started to use it. Yeah, it was six weeks that went on. I didn't see my kids, didn't see my kids. So what would happen? Like you would show up, you know, pick up a time, let's say it's five o'clock, you go there, she wouldn't answer the door or she wasn't home or like what happened? I'm supposed to pick up the children at school. By the okay. way, that court order also forbid her from being on school grounds during the transition. Okay. Okay, so that's you went how to school? serious this was. Okay, so you I went to school, school like six times and then what happened when you went? Uh, the kids would basically uh, walk right by me, walk all the way down to the bus stop, which was at the end of the school property where the mother would be waiting for them. Mm. The mother would take the children by the hand, cross the road, and then take them home. They just basically so, ignore me. So why didn't they come with you? Oh, because at this point, they weren't coming at all. By this point, I hadn't seen my children in, my daughter in 12 months, my son in six months. How old were they? Uh, this is 2019, so eight and five. So they're eight and five. They walk out of the school. They see you. They obviously recognize you because you're their father. Of course. You say, you know, come on, kiddos, let's hop in the car and, you know, yeah. go home. Yeah. And then they just ignore you and keep walking? Yeah, they just keep walking. Even though we have a social worker that's communicating, like trying to talk with the mother, like, hey, we have this very serious court order. We need to start moving. You need to be there encouraging. You need to tell them. They need to have your backpacks packed. Nope. So why didn't you call the weeks. cops at that time to have them enforce the order? The, I did after six weeks, but I was trying to work after six with times after six times. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, in hindsight, would you be that nice? Like, would you let it slide that much? I mean, you let her get away with hitting you. You let her get away with a lot, actually. Yeah. I was hoping I would, I thought the system would hold her accountable. And as it turns out, it yeah. didn't at all. So, so there's a lesson for you guys is that the system doesn't hold women accountable to standards, you know, especially when it comes to family law, you can't, you can't let stuff slide. It's like, you cannot even give them an inch. It's like, if you have an order to have the kids at four o'clock and you pick them at school, then you make sure you get the kids. If the kids don't get in the car with you, then you call the police and you enforce it. Like you have to use every means available to you because just about everything in family law, like I talked about in my book, like the, like the deck is stacked up against you. You cannot give them any wiggle room whatsoever. In any Being the nice guy does not work. You have to be a tough guy. Anyway, we can't put you back yeah. in a time machine to fix that. But anyway, so, yeah. Yeah. so after six weeks, you finally start to use a police enforcement. Do the kids, like, are the kids happy to see you when the police get you no, to it was, them? It was miserable that my, uh, when my, when the police... First of all, when I called the police, I said they weren't going to enforce it. Okay. So I got the family law system failing me, 
the social workers, the, the agency, everything. Like they first refused to it. And I said, excuse me, the judge has already made this decision for you. You don't have a choice in the situation. I need you to speak with your supervisor. Mm-hmm. And I get a call 20 minutes later, sorry, 20 or 30 minutes later from the same constable saying, Mr. Morris, okay, you know, I spoke with our supervisor. We're going to be enforcing your court order. And I said, I will be there to pick them up because I didn't want my children to be escorted to my home in the back of a cruiser. So uh, the first time I did it, the cops go in the house and there's a fight. My son is fighting with the RCMP. The mother-in-law is, is, is fainting. The mother wasn't even home when, when the cops showed up. She was off somewhere, you know, apparently working. So it's, it's, it's one thing to take the kids because she wants to, to spend time with them. She's not even she's, with them. Yeah, she's not even with them. She just didn't want me to have the children, right? Yeah. So, so the cops show up and they, they, and the cops obviously call the mother. Mother comes rushing home. There's a big fight, an altercation, and kids are furious. My, my, my daughter is crying. She is uh, 19. She's eight years old at this time. My son is like nine. And sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm missing up in the math there. And my son is, is, is furious. He's so upset at me. He's, he's uh, as I start driving, when, when the police finally bring him out and get into the car, he takes off. Police officers running in the dark after my son. Takes off like takes, he runs away? Runs away. It's about so, the most miserable situation you can think of for a father. Yeah, like that would suck as a father. Like I, I mean, this is just shit. Um, so the kid runs off, doesn't want to be yeah. with his father. You're doing everything you can to be with your kids. What did she, what did she do to the kids to get them to that point where they like, I mean, like, okay, for example, uh, you have a picture here on your GoFundMe. Let me just put it up on the screen. Cause this does not look like kids that don't like their father. Right. You know, this is the boy and this is his daughter. I'm assuming. Right. Yes. That's my daughter. How long ago was this picture taken? Uh, it was taken in July, 2022. Okay. So my son's already 14, that picture. So. I mean, like, how much work did you have to do to get to the point where he would go on vacation with you and stand beside his father, at least? like The kids were like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. When they were with their mother, they felt like they had to act in a way that would make them happy. And this is what the counselors described to me as the divided loyalty trap. The divided loyalty trap, and this is not something that I said. This is something that the, the, the child educators told me that the children were caught in. And it's basically when the children attach or align their interests with the caretaker for fear of their own survival. And so if you think about that for a second, it basically means that when you, when you have a very conflictive mother who refuses to co-parent and, and burdens the children with making decisions about their own parenting time with the father, it basically you know, uh, puts the burden on the children to refuse their father in an attempt to make the mother happy. And then it forces the father, me, into a situation where either I go away right, to, to relieve the situation, to help my children, and then indirectly the mother wins because now the father's out of the picture, or if I continue to be part of their life and insist on being their father no matter what, then I'm creating all this conflict and somehow it's all my fault. But when the children were with me alone, they were totally fine. Like, you know, talking, doing stuff, but it's like this massive act they had to put on. When the police showed up, they blamed me. They thought it was, it was my fault. Did but, um, the child services do an assessment on what the mother was doing to the kids? Uh, right after separation, they did an assessment. They did an interview with the children. Um, would you like to hear? Because that's pretty juicy too. Yeah, sure. Um, they interviewed the two children, put them in separate rooms, explained the concept of lying. The children told them that I was uh, hitting the mother every day. 
children told them that I was hitting the children every day, and that they told them that they didn't want to be with their father. After the social workers explained to them a little more about lying and pressed them for the truth, they admitted that their mother had coached them to say these things and admitted that the father had never hit the mother, father never hit the children, and that sometimes the mother hits the children. That did, was the results, and that's did, public in the report, 500 did, pages, by the way. Did that get in front of a judge at some point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the judge had that. And the judge still let her get away with going to PEI with her boyfriend and the kids? Yeah, well, you want to hear the ridiculous part is Judge Rideout actually said that he finds no grant. He dismissed my allegations of parental alienation in his final assessment. Now, I get the fact that he's not an expert, but, you know, and I have audio tape clips and everything. And still, um, <laughs> it's indescribable. I, I yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was the results of the interview. By the way, the social worker file was in the mother's name because they had, and I'm paraphrasing here, they had serious concerns over the mother's parenting style and, and they were, uh, uh, and about her aggression towards the father of the children. So it was, uh, it was really messed up. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> when's the last time you saw your kids, man? Uh, okay. Uh, I had them for a three week trip over the summer holidays. Before that, I saw them in June of 2022. So I, so I saw them in June, and I saw them for three weeks in the middle of the summer, which was court-ordered. Mm. Uh, normally, the mother won't give me any parenting time during the summertime. And then after How that, the I did weeks. How was the three weeks with them? Oh, it was phenomenal. Um, my family lives in Winnipeg. We're located in Vancouver. So we did a three-week road trip. We did Lake Louise, Banff, you know, Drumheller with the amazing Royal Tyrell Dinosaur Museum, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Medicine Hat. Winnipeg with the family, my mother's 75th birthday. We had a really wonderful time. Oh, visiting other grandparents in Penticton here in British Columbia. Mm. So we had a, an amazing time. And if you recall, we had a really hot summer. So lots of beach time, lots of great weather, lots of ice cream. Do you get to like FaceTime them at all, Skype them or anything like in between then and now? Yeah. Um, well, knowing yes and no. So uh, after the uh, road trip, um, I was texting, texting my son. He wasn't texting back. I video called my daughter once and she was sort of half engaged. Uh, when I got the final judgment on August 26th saying that the children were allowed to relocate, I was te texting my son like, hey, are we going to see each other before we leave? We're going to see each other before we leave. And uh, uh, he didn't text back. Uh, my lawyer called, uh, uh, emailed her lawyer. Lawyer just responded saying, oh, what, when, would you, when would you like to see them? So we gave a bunch of different proposals, like different options, and then never heard back. And then they, they left. Uh, I didn't have an opportunity to say goodbye to my two children. All right. Well, um, I've got to I've got to start getting ready to switch over to take some of the Q&As, you know. Uh, let me just go through the chat here and see what we've got. Um, I know Jerry is the co-star of this movie. He's got a very similar scenario. He's, uh, uh, I mean, not quite as bad as you, but... Uh, uh, SME talks says, thanks for all you do, Rich, in this age. I would only consider religious marriage if I really have to, but with serious legal coverage to protect my assets. Was that anything that you even contemplated, you know, before getting married? Like, you know, could she be cuckoo? Could this go sideways? Or was it just like, uh, you know, you take your vows till death do us part and sickness and health. You know, I'm going to see my kids graduate, have grandbabies. You know, we're going to be together forever. Like, yeah. The notion of this ever happening never crossed your mind. 
I thought that was it. I was done. And uh, we even got married in a Ukrainian Catholic church. I thought we had two, three weddings, actually, never mind. I thought we were, that was it for me. Uh, what would her new marriage have looked like if she lost her career due to the DV? Yeah, well, uh, so her employment opportunities would have, uh, so here in Canada, if you work with, you, before you work with children, you have to provide a police report, a criminal report. And, uh, you know, either it's blank or it's got stuff on it. And if she had anything on her criminal report, she would not be allowed to work with with children. That's how it affect her career. It might affect her ethics. That would probably have to get through to the ethics board. So she might have some challenges completing her PhD if she's allowed to. That's more. Um, and the last thing in terms of her marriage, I don't know. Never met the guy. Never talked with him. I've seen him, you know, picking up my kids from school. But uh, I can't, you know, guess what he would say if she was... She probably, they probably just blame it on me. You know, oh, I'm, I'm doing something bad. Some rando mofo is spending more time with this man's kids than he is. You know, uh, Greg says, when did you guys stop sleeping together in this whole timeline? Eight years in. Uh, after eight years when the kids are born, we started sleeping in separate beds and separate rooms. So Okay, so, so eight years into the marriage, you guys stop being intimate. You guys are still married for another eight years after that. And then you've got another yeah. four or five years of fighting. When yeah. you're untying the knot. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, man. In fact, um, I just got divorced. I think it was September 2nd. I was like, you know, officially, officially divorced from this woman. Uh, if you, if you, if you manage to take her back to court again, would it be in BC or PEI? Yeah, we're, that's a really good question. We're trying to make sure that she doesn't switch the jurisdiction from Vancouver, from BC to PEI, because then that will obviously add additional court costs for me. Um, so we're trying to keep the jurisdiction here. Uh, I can't take her to court again. All I can do is try to get them to reverse the current decision. And the only legal process here in this province is called the court of appeal. So I have 40 days to file as so I've already filed a, a motion to appeal, but I'm at the stage now where I, I have to actually file the appeal. And in order to file the appeal, I also have to submit official legal transcripts from like only certain companies can produce these transcripts. Mm -hmm. I've got to pay the, the back fees from the summer legal fees. And I got to put up, uh, you know, a five figure retainer for the lawyer to actually uh, put together the appeal. And then I submit it to the court of appeal. And then they decide basically either that to overturn some of the judge's decisions or to, it'll trigger a new trial. So we'll have a basically what you refer to as a real, a retrial. And the deadline for that is like, I have less than a week. If I can't put up the funds for the lawyer to pursue the lead, the, the appeal process, then that's it. Show's over. What do you need to uh, put up within the week? How much? I've, I've added it up. I, I am an accountant. Uh, the total comes to <laughs> $129,000. That's Canadian dollars. Okay, so um, you need to raise 129000 before you can get to this point. Yeah. I mean, 35,000 of that is just for the legal transcripts. And that's, that's not even me. That's me paying a third party uh, to how much, produce that. How much debt do you have right now from this uh, lawsuit? Uh, I'm in 48 for the lawyer. Uh, 35, I have to pay for transcripts. And I got to put up 30 for the, for the appeal. All right, guys. Well, there's a GoFundMe in the description of the video um, if you want to help Kevin with this appeal process. Uh, $129,000 is a chunk of change he has all the details here in the gofundme uh i mean we've covered them, most of them on the show so uh links there it's active if you want to check it out and help him out with the cause um 
You know, I I wrote in the chapter of my book about why smart men don't marry today in most Western environments. Um, is there anything that you would add to it? I know you went through the book, but is there anything that you would offer beyond what I covered in there that might be useful to people watching? Yeah, listen, um, whatever you do, never lay a hand on a female. Um, there's a part of me in retrospect that realized that she was just trying to continually bait me. So when she was committing domestic violence with me against me, she's trying to get me to engage in that violence with her. So as soon as I do one thing to her, then that's it, I'm out. And so I would say that mothers can do no wrong, but everything you do will be heavily, heavily scrutinized by your lawyer during you know cross-examination and by the judge. So you 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 everything is already stacked against you. The, the, all the systems. So if you don't have an impeccable re record, they're just going to pick that one little thing that you did wrong. You raised your hand against her once. You swore at her once. You said a bad thing to her once, and then the whole thing will go against you. Um, and the other thing I would say is that uh, uh, in terms of if any of you guys are actually going through this now, uh, you got to use your work. Um, you got to work on yourself, man, to distract yourself and from the emotions. Like, calling a lawyer going to this like the trial it's really a horrendous emotional experience so you got to use your work you got to get like creative and like put in extra hours at the company you work for or go hustle and use some new clients if you have your own business and, and and get out there and like exercise and work on yourself because literally there's there's no other way that you can um manage your emotions during this process and keep clear-headed if you're not you know looking towards something uh, in in the future and you got something that you're working on. So, yeah, I know, Rich, you have your own language for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, I'm going to, I told Kevin I'd give him some time after the show. Um, I put this before my community privately, and um, there's some feedback I'm going to give him off the air when the show's done. Um, the GoFundMe link, I'm sorry, I forgot to drop it in all the, uh, the chat. So there's a link for GoFundMe. It'll, it'll show up everywhere that's uh, streaming right now if you guys want to contribute. Um, there's another question here. Rich, do you recommend an irreversible trust as the best way to protect yourself? Heard there's some bad tax implications when taking that route. Interestingly, I got an email a few days ago from somebody talking about being an expert on that, and he'd love to come on the show. Uh, I've taken a lot of care lately in the last year after some retard uh, completely lied to me about his uh, position and his story, and it, and, and it came out after the fact. So I spent a good probably hour and a half going through Kevin's stuff and reading the Canley and asking for links, and he's legit. What he's talking about happened. Um, you know, he's a real deal. So I've got to scope out this irreversible trust option. Um, when I feel like I have a, or when I feel confident, I've got a, a solid show to put together, then look for it in the future. Um, this is one of the things that not a lot of people talk about that we have to have conversations about. Cause like I said, I mean, um, Moff was saying earlier in the show, like, I don't know if you caught it on Saturday, Kevin, but we had this, uh, religious, uh, zealot that was on uh, for about an hour telling us how all we do is wrong and, uh, blah, blah, blah. And if you're just a good guy, you know, she'll stick around forever, ever until kingdom come. We're like, yeah, well, sometimes it goes that way, but a lot of the times it really doesn't. So, um, you know, marriage is a slaughterhouse. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a building with very sharp objects in it and you got to walk through it. And it's like, you know, you have to know how to maneuver through it. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that I can say at Kevin's expense, you know, during the show is, 
there's a case for being an unplugged alpha. Okay. Like when you unplug from society's lies and you realize, look, you know, if, if she's doing things that are inappropriate in a long-term relationship, when you put your, uh, financial well-being, your time and your resources at risk to provide for her and for a family and for children. And she's not respecting that and she's hitting you and she's doing things that are illegal. Being a nice guy isn't going to get you anywhere, you know? Um, and I think Kevin realizes that in hindsight, of course, and I'm not mm -hmm. doing this, to, you know, to disparage you to, you know, to, you know, put you to the coal sort of thing. But I think that if there's one thing that guys can take away from this is, yeah, you know, be a stand-up guy, but don't let anybody push you around, you know, provide, be a father, you know, be a man. If that's what, you know, if you want to be a father, fine, but just understand that you're marching into something that is incredibly risky. And this is just one example of many that I've hosted on my shows over the years of when things go badly. Um, there's, there's very badly, you know, I've talked to guys that have, <laughs> their wives have tried to kill them. Um, and I've heard other stories just as bad, if not, um, you know, even worse than Kevin's, but dudes like he just wants to be a father and see his kids. And I, I don't know that family law is the way to go about it. We'll talk privately after the show. Um, anything else you want to say before we kind of move on to the Q and a segment, I'm just going to grab the link while he's talking here and drop it in the chat for you guys. Yeah. Brief comment. And then a, and a sort of a closing out. Yeah. I think that idea of being a nice guy and thinking that you're in control is all an illusion because once the, the your wife or your spouse accesses the system, then you have pretty much everyone working against you. I mean, one thing I didn't mention is that in this whole facade of a trial, the children actually had their own lawyer. So if you can imagine, my lawyer is fighting against not only the mother's lawyer, but the children's lawyer, who are just like basically a, a, a parrot echoing all the opinions of the mother through the voices of the children. And it was just such a facade. Uh, but, you know, one thing that, you know, Rich, we talked just a little bit off sort of off camera here uh, in the short email exchanges we had, and that was the idea of kind of like letting go. And I think this mm -hmm. process, the GoFundMe is my, my last step. Like I don't have any more funds to, to, to file the appeal. Like I'm done. I'm been bled dry and I'm just kind of putting it out there. If, if I can't, you know, raise the funds online through an online committee like yours or like, you know, uh, maybe some other folks online, then that's it. You know, the whole thing is over and, and she wins and the kids will be in PEI and I'm here in Vancouver and I'm just, I'll see them twice a year and that'll be my life. Uh, so I guess I'm just trying to sort of say that this is my last, this is my last ditch effort. Like I've got nothing left. I've been doing this for four and a half years. The trial itself cost me over six figures. And it's, you know, the base judge basically told the children that the father is not important and that the mother's happiness means more than relationship with their father. I mean, it's just, how much just you pay monthly? How much you pay monthly to her for child support? Yeah. I prefer not to disclose. Okay. Well, it's, it's all based on tables. I mean, you guys can go to the Canadian tables and look it up, but they're actually provincially based. I mean, there's slightly different province to province. Uh, last super chat here. Uh, damn brother. I thought this sort of thing only happened in the USA. Hang in there. Keep leading from the front. Rich It's terrible. Shake my head. Look, it's not just the U S that this happens and this happens in yeah. a lot of other places in the world. Any Western developed, uh, like country that is liberalized, you know, to the point where we're at today, you're going to find similar type of experiences from guys. Like there's guys in Eastern Europe and Europe and UK. I've talked to guys in all around the UK that have talked about very similar stories like this. Yes, it happens in the U S more because it's a larger country with a larger population. 
but there's some there's some there's some crazy stuff that goes on out there, guys. Um, the link to call in is pinned in the live chat of the YouTube. Let me grab that link, by the way, and drop that in all chat. So if you're watching on Facebook or somewhere else, just click that. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to pull you out. If you want to wait in the waiting area and watch the show from there, or if you want to hop in at like 930, which is about 630 your time, we'll talk privately about some other stuff. Um, but again, thanks for coming on. The link for your GoFundMe there is in the description, and we'll do some Q&A now, okay? Thanks, thanks Rich. Kev. Thanks, all guys, right. for your feedback. All right, before we hop into the Q&A, let me just uh, run a quick ad reel. And uh, where's my ad reel? There it is. There's the ad insert. It's just like two minutes long. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by the Unplugged Alpha Supplements and Grondike Soap Company. Brothers, if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously, you'll want to use the Unplugged Alpha Supplements. An obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others. You want to make sure that you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients. And unlike cheaper supplements from China in plastic bottles, mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't seep endocrine disrupting plastics into your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is in an easily digestible, bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by various categories, including testosterone support, estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders or use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. Then I use Tactical Soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical Soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and the beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Go visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Guys, check out my website at richcooper.ca for more information on booking me for coaching, my community, my courses, and a whole bunch more. You can also find all the useful links pinned below in the top YouTube comment of all my videos. Now let's get on with the show. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there. It was playing and then it clipped out and froze. Moff saying dead air, so I'm guessing it ended. I'm not sure what's up with that. It's glitching. Anyway, nuts. I guess that's what happens when you have like a, a nut story on a show, man. It's incredible. Um, Rage says my religious ex tried to trick me and put me on supervised access while told me she never kept the child away from me, but luckily I caught her before taking default judgment. Yeah. I'm telling you guys, um, nodding your head and agreeing is if it didn't work in a marriage, I can promise you it's, it's going to backfire big time in a divorce. Um, it is what it is. Like you've, you've got to play it on, on hard mode. It's, it's just not a time to screw around and be a nice guy. You can be a nice guy some other time, but not in a divorce. Um, let's see what Scion 7's got for us over here. All right, Scion, what do you got for us, buddy? 
Hello, can you hear me? Okay, you're out. Guys, don't do that. If you're gonna click the join link and kick, then click and join and ask a question. Uh, Harriet, you got a mic, you got a uh, mute line through your mic. So if you wanna unmute yourself, I'll, I'll pull you in here. Again, the link to join and ask a question, the StreamYard link is pinned at the top of the YouTube uh, live stream in the chat. Harriet, what's up, buddy? Hi, um, it's for personal questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, fire away, Harriet. Okay. Um, so I have a relationship question. Um, I have a boyfriend and I'm struggling a little bit with um, just, I. <laughs> maybe not respecting him uh, as much as I should. I, I find myself like questioning a lot of his choices and beliefs and stuff like that. And I, I'd really like to stop. I, I don't want that to be my role. Um, I, I have a very, very promiscuous background. I'm sure that has something to do with it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can't change that, of course, but I'm just wondering if there's anything I can do now. How old are you? I'm 24. And what's the um, issue that you've got with your boyfriend right now? Um, I I, I want to feel more submissive to him. I, I find myself kind of asking, like, why did you do this? I'm just questioning decisions he's made and some beliefs he has. And, um, Can you give me an example of something? Because you're kind of very vague with it. Yeah, so he, he feels kind of stuck in his job and i i'm kind of like well why did you why are you in this field like why did you, why you know why can't you just do something and i just um want to stop having those thoughts i'm not i'm not sure i understand what the problem is i mean you're you're kind of dancing around you're saying that you're having some difficulty respecting him you said that you're uh 24 you mentioned something about a promiscuous past what does that have to do with the conflict that you have with him right now i i've just heard you say that that can can um like hurt your ability to to bond and uh be submissive um so i i don't know if there's anything i can do at this point but well i mean like w women that have been with a lot of guys are gonna have a hard time you know connecting with a guy on a long-term basis because like how many guys you've been with like what's your notch count this is Anon, obviously, you don't have your camera on, so you can be honest with it. Um, I think it's like uh, maybe 20, 24, something like that. Um, okay. I actually, I, I was actually at one point uh, a prostitute, so. Okay, so you're a sex worker too. Does that include like the 24 or is that uh, like 24 guys? Yeah, it, yeah it, was, it was maybe like. I think four guys. He knows about that past. I've tried to tell him, and but I, I like I've had so much trouble getting the words out. He just said, "Don't worry about telling me." So, but no, I haven't told him. Okay, so look, I mean, if you've been with twenty-four guys or so, then if something doesn't work out or it's not going your way, uh, and it makes sense for you to go to number twenty-five, it's a lot easier if you've been through twenty-four guys versus like one guy. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's where it's it's difficult for women to connect with a guy over a long-term basis. It's also risky for a guy, too. Like, 
you wouldn't want to invite a woman into your life. I mean, I personally wouldn't want to invite a woman in my life that's been with a bunch of guys because she's going to be more disagreeable. If there's problems in the relationship, she's going to be more likely to bounce. Like, why would I invest in that sort of thing? That's from the guy's perspective. But as far as you submitting to him, like, is he saying that you're not submitting to him? Like, are there things that aren't going his way? Like, what is it exactly? No, he doesn't, he doesn't really say anything, but I, I like, I know what that feels like. Um, and, and that's what I, that's the type of relationship I, I want. I just, there may not be anything I can do at this point. I don't know. You want to submit, but you're having a hard time doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? I mean, you're only um, 24. Like, why is this happening at 24? Why is what happening? Why are you having this difficulty at 24? This is usually like the boss girl sort of persona that happens, you know, to women in their 30s and 40s. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. So do you think there's not much I can do to, to change this part about myself? Is, well, no, you can look, man. I mean, anytime you want to look inside yourself and take ownership for where you're at, you can do whatever you want with that. Um, I mostly talk to guys about it because I find that they're more receptive to doing the inner work than what women are. Uh, but, you know, I'm guessing you've watched a few of my shows. You're calling in for a reason because you're looking for some help with it. Um, but I'm just looking at the chat over here and what's popping up. Um, is he potentially a loser? Is he a low value guy? Is that why you're having a hard time submitting to him? I, I don't know. He might not. He maybe maybe a little bit, but I mean, because I mean, like I women generally, wanna... women generally don't have a hard time yielding to a guy that's high enough value, right? So is that is that part of the problem for any, you? I don't know. You don't think there's anything I can do? Sure you can. I mean, if you've got inner work to do, then you can certainly find somebody that can, you know, walk you through it. Um, I'm not the guy for that. I'm, I'm far too expensive for somebody your age with your level of experience in life. Um, I don't know, like, is there social work that you can have a conversation with somebody on? But like, if you've identified that you have an issue submitting to a a guy because of things in your past or whatever's going on in your head like one of the problems that you've got and it, and it popped up a few times where's where's one of them here uh no one knows what you're talking about that's the problem right like you have a difficult time communicating what the issue is so if you're having a difficult time saying hey you know here's my problem what do i what do i do to get help with it but a lot of people watching this right now in the chat are going well what's the problem harriet right like they don't have any clarity on it you're having difficulty even getting that okay. part out yeah. Okay. I guess it's like another one is um, he he's a little bit religious. Like he believes in God and mm -hmm. Jesus is being divine and everything. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, God, what? Why are you so dumb? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to think that. I, I and I don't. And when I really think about it, he's it's not it doesn't mean he's dumb at all. I just so, but I can't stop myself from having these these thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you guys don't align in a lot of areas. Really is what it boils down to. I feel like those areas, it shouldn't matter. Like it's not really. Why did you pick him? Why did you pick him? Like why did you agree to get into a long-term relationship? Did he ask you or did, or did you ask him? Like where do we stand? I, um, 
I don't really remember. Uh, you don't remember don't how you got into a long-term relationship with a guy? Uh, it was, it was online. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess it was kind of mutual. Um, right. But I mean, usually when you're dating, you know, you start seeing each other and it's like, you know, you start catching the feels or somebody catches the feels, whether it's you or him. And it's like, Hey, you know, I like you, where do we stand? You know, are you seeing anybody else? Where's this going? Who brought up that conversation? Um, I don't know. I think it was just assumed from the beginning. I, I that might be weird. I'm not sure. It's very weird. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that you're that you're proposing here on this call doesn't doesn't really add up to much. Okay. I'm gonna let you go here. It, it just doesn't okay. add up. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the chat's picking up on it. They're like, you know, what's going on here? Like this, this just is, just doesn't add up. Um, let me head over to. Uh, we got Johnny Lewis. Why does that name sound familiar? You've been on before. You're the comedian? Yeah. That's uh, right. Artist. Artist, artist, artist. Yeah, the, yeah. the chat artist. City. That's right. What's going yeah, on, yeah, man? Yeah, yeah, How you doing? Good. Um, yeah, I called la I th I, a couple weeks ago saying that um, rotations are, they, they're not all that they're cracked up to be. Like I had a, rotation yeah. of three or four yeah um, a few girlfriends I, simultaneously yeah exactly yeah. um mm -hmm. so it was kind of coincidental like the other day i had an ex who left me for a former boyfriend mm -hmm. um she flew down she's from australia she flew she went down there without me um when we had planned to go together to meet her family and she like, you know, slept with her ex and told me after we had broken up that she had done so. And so I was like, whatever, that's over, you know, and I got a rotation going, I kind of moved on. Mm -hmm. And then she um, sent me a big letter a week ago, apologizing okay. about it and how big of a mistake she had made. Sorry, I'm in the city, so it's a little loud, it's chaotic. Sorry, guys. Um, is this an ask she, or is this a share right now that you're doing? It, it, it's an ask. Okay. Um, and she is uh, sent me a letter about how badly she wanted me back and how big of a mistake she made. And mm -hmm. she was going to fix all these problems and she had done a lot of work and she had realized like how valuable I was and how badly she wanted me back after she had done this kind of like black flag act of like cheating on me um and now she's kind of like on her hands and knees and pulling up and you know why did she leave you let's start with that um, so why did she bounce on you yeah i i think that she just didn't know what she wanted and she had like a different kind of view of who her ex was and then once she saw him for who he was after they were together and realized that it wasn't me she felt really sorry about it and now she wants me back mm. so is this uh do i take her back rich call exactly exactly how old is she she's uh 29 i'm 32. chat saying no um I, yeah. like like generally speaking if a chick leaves you for another guy she's basically telling you without stating hey johnny lewis 
I think this guy's a better choice than you are, so I'm a bounce. Right. And then, look, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen, but every once in a while, you know, she goes and stands on a new patch of grass and thinks the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. But what people don't realize, men and women, is the grass is always greener where you water and fertilize and cut it. Right. right? And that's usually internal work. So people, you know, running around from, let's just use women, women running around from dude to dude to dude, like hopping off one dude's Johnson and then back onto another and then saying, oh, no, I changed my mind. I think you're a better choice. Hey, look, you know, you want to have some fun. She's a good time for you, whatever. But I would not take her seriously. Right. A lot of the guys in the chat are just saying, no, cut her loose. Forget it. You know, she went to go find herself. I love it. <laughs> All right, Johnny. All right, later. All right, brother. Take care. Yeah, that's always something that's always going to come up, man. The age old story. She left me and then she wants to get back to me. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a dignity thing, too, for a lot of guys. It's like, you know, if if you if you have a chick that walks out on you and they don't usually walk out to go and, I don't know, get a degree, for example, Women Monkey Branch, there's there's at least one in-depth video on my channel about mate switching. If you just search in the YouTube search bar for um, Entrepreneurs in Cars Mate Switching Study, um, go watch that video. It's, it's based on academic research. W- women almost always have a backup plan, even when they're in a long-term relationship. Uh, 50% of women admit to it. Uh, and because having a backup plan is deceptive and, you know, promiscuous, not very many women are going to admit to having a backup plan. So they don't, they don't go and leave to go and do some work and then find the next guy. They actually have another guy lined up. So it's, it's just a bad vibe. You know, if you put it that way, like, like an unplugged alpha is not going to say, oh yeah, go and run around and then I'm going to take you back and be serious about you again. I mean, you do you, but I think the chats caught on to it very uh, strongly and they ain't having it. Um, all right, let's see who we got here in the waiting area. We got uh, Steven. Let's see what Steven's got for us here. Hey, Rich, how's it going? How you doing, buddy? Hey, I don't know if you remember, I was uh, was on your show before. Okay. Uh, I joined the ten percent, and I will have to. I want. We just wanted to say, well, thank you, because your your book has just literally changed my life. It has like every once I got over the red the red pill rage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's part, you know. And I finally accepted the way the game is. Yeah, it, my whole life just changed from there. It okay. took me a while to implement everything and and to like to use everything in practice, but it's just one eighty. Like everything just changed. Good. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to say thank you. It, it's 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 just crazy how once you see it and you realize like wow, like this this like I'm a whole different man now. It's, yeah, it's just, there's look. Look, guys, like there's a sweet spot. There's head stuck in the sand, blissfully ignorant, hoping everything just works out. Like our friend Matt on Saturday, that moth and everybody was talking to and Jaron. Then you've got, you know, the unplug process. And then you've got kind of like a dangerous area where it's almost as bad as like the blissful ignorance head plugged in the sand. When some guys keep going to like depth that, that really doesn't serve them. I'm glad that you got something out of it. Guys, listen, if you want to do anything to help me out, you know, if you've read the book or if you're watching this as a podcast, 
if if it's video or podcast, leave a comment, leave a review. If it's the book, go to Amazon and let guys know what value you got out of the book. It just lets others know that there's something there and it's worth checking out. Steph, you know, sorry, go ahead. What I do now at my job, I go to guys and tell them, hey, look, I want you to read this book. I'll buy it for you. I'll buy it for you. If you like it, you pay me back. If you don't, you can keep it. So far, I only had to pay for only one book, and I bought it seven times. That's that's a very uh, generous offer. So it, it, it's like I, I let the book speak for itself. And like <laughs> some guys even told me, uh, I hate that you gave me the book. Now I realize that I'm in deep shit, and I mm. can't. Like I'm, I don't know how to get out. You know. But I, hey, look, you know. It's better to be a deep shit before you end up in a situation like, um, you know, Kevin's in where it's like he's throwing all this money at trying to see his kids yeah. and, you know, has like an entire nightmare of, what was it, 16 years plus four or five years of bullshit trying to untie the knot, right? Um, yeah, like I know that unplugging from the Matrix is hard work and it's not always fun, but yeah. if you do it, yeah, it'll pay dividends for you guys. It'll, definitely, it really definitely. will. Oh, man. All right, Steph. Thanks, brother. Hi, right, brother. Okay. Um we got Joe in the house here. Let's see what Joe's got for us. What's up, buddy? Hey, Rich. What's up? Good, man. What can I do for you tonight? Um, so my main question tonight, one, is I've read your book several times and okay. uh, really enjoyed it. I feel like I've learned a lot about myself really from it, just unplugging myself. But my main question is, is like I look at myself and my life and I've been working on my grind and just like getting my life together, working out. Um, and I know you've said before that like – you shouldn't really date until you feel like you're like a, at least a solid seven. Mm -hmm. um, but like on the mental frame side, like how, like, what do you feel like in a mental state? Like, where do you need to be before you start trying to spin plates and date? Well, I think that's part of like the whole self self assessment, right? Like if you feel like you're not ready for it, like if you're, if you got to square away something that's going on in your head, right then you're probably not going to rate yourself seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 or something like that. Right. Like you've got some, like what's the issue that you got to contend with? Um, I, I just see like a diminishing return whenever I'm with a lot of these women. Um, when I date these women, like, I That's mean, fine. and I, um, I just don't see the benefit to, you know, I, I feel like the majority of women that I've dated bring so much complexity. Um, and I mean, the great thing about where I am now is I feel like before I was definitely super betatized and I just would put up with their crap and make excuses for women. But now I'm just like, hey, get to the curb. Like, I'm moving on. And How it's old like, are you? I feel like, where do you live? What do you do for a living? Um, so I am 37. I was married for nine years, went through okay. a really bad divorce. Okay. Um, fortunately, I live in, a, in the United States. I live in Kentucky okay. and it's, it's default 50, 50. So yeah. I have 50, 50 custody, of my Perfect. kids. Um, and I'm an executive for a retail company. I'm not, I don't want to say who. Okay. Um, so, okay, so you do well. Figures. So you would be considered a high value guy. Do you have any kids? Yeah, I've got two kids. Okay. So you're finding that women that you're dating aren't really worth your time then? Yeah, basically. I mean, What sort I, of baggage are you seeing that, that keeps popping up? I mean, one, I've kind of learned. I mean, you know, the first time I read your book um, wasn't too long after I got divorced and I got involved with a single mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I'd read your book and I, you know, kind of thought that I was like the anomaly and I, this is going to work out. And it just was hell in a handbasket. Was it, um, was it pretty much what I described in that chapter? Exactly. Exactly. Like I described in the chapter. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like the older you get, the more women you're going to come across that have kids. Right. Yeah. And that's so, like where I'm at is like, yeah. you know, the majority of the women that I run into do have kids. I mean, shoot, most kids or most women that are 25 usually already have kids at least around there's here. some women there's there's quite a few people that get upset with that you know when i say that like fathers like even if they're divorced uh you know if they're a high value guy then i would not even recommend dealing with a single mom there was only one scenario in that chapter in my book where i could even draw a conclusion where it might even make sense but generally speaking like men and women are not the same right like most guys, if you've got your life squared away and you got money, it doesn't matter that you have kids, right? Like you haven't, you haven't carried somebody else's uh, children for months or years, you know, depending on how many kids you've, you've got. Um, women don't generally have the same amount of financial resources that guys do, especially, you know, when guys are at their SMV peak, uh, men are success objects, women are beauty objects. There's a big differences between men and women. So when so when people come at and you're like, oh, well, you know, Joe, you're a father, you got kids, you should just find a woman with kids and, you know, play the Brady, Brady Bunch game. It's like, dude, I mean, like you've done it. I've done it. A lot of guys watching have done it and be like, it's really not worth it. So um, you just have to be a little more selective with your time and who you're going to date. Um, there's have you ever heard Reason Season Lifetime? No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I came across this a long time ago. Um, my friend's mom was all like spiritual and woosah and like chrysalis and stuff. And I think it makes sense though. So I'll explain it like this. Like there's people that come in your life for like a reason to teach a, a lesson maybe or whatever. You know, it could be a friends with benefits. It could be a lesson like don't date women with these red flags, you know, sort of thing, right? Maybe you see them for a date or two, maybe a, a week or two or a month or two, but it ends. Reason, season summer months, you know, for like maybe a year or something like that. And there's some people that come into your life for a lifetime, but it's not always women. A lot of the times, you know, it can be friends too. Right. So, I mean, like you have to suss them out when, you know, you meet up with them, you're going to, you know, you're going to chat them up. You're going to have a drink, see what they're made of, you know, see how their lives are squared away. And when you see that they're really not somebody that you want to spend any time with on a long-term basis, but maybe you have a good connection. There's a good sexual chemistry FWB <clears throat> category, right? You keep them at arm's length. There's no meeting each other's kids. There's no dates, there's no vacations. It's just, you know, if you enjoy each other's company, then do that fine if you want, but you're going to find that at this age, like when did you get divorced? How, how long ago was it? Four years. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you're still pretty new, but like at this age for you, it's like SMV peak top shelf guy, you know, you're good looking. You seem like you're in good shape too. Um, the stuff that you're talking about that's going on between your ears, that's not a problem that you got. It's just you coming to the realization that most of the women that you're going to date aren't going to be really worth your time on a long-term basis. And unless you want more kids, you want more kids? No. So if you don't want more kids, it doesn't really matter. It yeah. honestly doesn't really matter because you got your kids out of the way. Uh, if you've untied the knot and you got a good relationship with their action, you got 50-50 custody because you're in the right state for that. Awesome. Now yeah. it's like, okay, what kind of what kind of chick do I want to deal with, right? Because yeah. you don't want to have any more kids, so that's yeah. off the table. So really, like, what are you looking for? You want to spend some plates and you know get some experience? Are you looking for a girlfriend? Like, what are you looking for? I mean, all I don't I look back at my life really, and I I don't think I ever really spun plates. I mm -hmm. you know I kind of bought into that whole narrative of like 
you know, the one and all that okay. garbage. And I feel like I've, I've went through these stages of like unplugging myself. And it's like, I went through that like angry phase. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, yeah, somebody's, and, somebody's here in the chat saying that it sounds like you're in the red pill rage phase and he needs more time. So there for few months <laughs> until I fully accept the nature of women. So you're kind of going through like the acceptance phase of what it is that you're going to deal with and the sort of stuff that you're going to suss out. Here's a little bit of advice. Get a uh, waiter's notepad, download an app that you can put on your phone and just start journaling your dating life. Her name, her age, what she does for a living, what your experience was with her. Next date, her name, her age, what she does for a living. Every once in a while, you know, maybe you're going to get intimate with one or two of them or a few more of them, you know, as you kind of go down the list. But just start journaling, you know, for yourself just so you can see what's out there. And then if at some point you've been doing this for a while, you get a little tired of it, because most guys do. Like most guys are like, you know, this gets tiresome after a while, right? Like I kind of want to do more things with my time than just dating and, you yeah. know, racking up notches sort of thing. At that point, you're probably going to have a few plates spinning. They're probably going to dig your vibe. Maybe one, two, or three of them are going to be like, hey, Joe, where do we stand? You know, we've been at this for a little while. You know, I was kind of hoping maybe, you know, we could do something more than this. When are we going to meet each other's families, blah, 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 sort of thing. That's when you can be like, okay, well, she's actually pretty cool. I dig her vibe. I've been seeing her for a while. Let's maybe see what she's made of. And then you're going to take two years, year and a half to two years to see what she's really made of. Date, you know, you're going to travel. And it doesn't have to just be one, by the way, Joe. There's lots of guys out there that have several women in their lives over a long-term basis. So if you want to be non-monogamous and have one or two girlfriends or something like that, or a main chick and a side chick, whatever, lots of guys do that, right? Like um, that's entirely up to you, but you set the precedent. You're the, like, women are the gatekeepers to sex. Men are always the gatekeepers to the relationship. So you have an opportunity to say, okay, you know, yeah, I like you too. And I would like to have a relationship with you, but we're going to do it this way. Right. And she may yeah. not go for it. There's a lot of women that will just say no. And it's like, okay, fine. Right. Like I've got, I've got Becky and I've got, uh, you know, Kathy over here, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. I appreciate it, Rich. All right, Joe. Yep. Sounds you good. Do you, buddy. Okay. You put yourself first guys. Like, like, look, I know a lot of guys like this when they get to the stage where they're like, ah, I'm kind of like in my mid to late thirties. I don't really like what I'm seeing. It's really frustrating what do I do? Is it me? You know, do I got to work on myself? That's not an issue for him, you know, to square away. Um, it doesn't sound like it anyway, from the way that he's, you know, describing, it's just, you're going to come across a lot of, you're going to dig through a lot of dirt until you find some gold. And I guarantee the woman that he married, he probably thought was gold when he married her only to realize later on down the road, after whatever number of years it is that she wasn't. And that knot got untied and he had to go through an acrimonious divorce like he explained. And now he's at where he's at today. Um, let's give uh, Nathan a shot here. We'll pull him in. What do you got for me, buddy? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So uh, real quick, uh, thanks. Thank you for your book. It's been really great. Um, uh, it has taught me a lot. Uh, but straight to the question, I kind of know the answer to this already. I uh, kind of have an idea, but I just needed uh, sometimes somebody else to tell me. Mm -hmm. um, I just met this, I met this girl like a year ago. She's been great. I've been making sure to check for every single red flag on the book. Not a single one, Rich, not mm -hmm. a single one. She's been great. The issue is that um, I started going out like a year ago, like a year and a half ago. I have next to no social like experience and pretty much everything's new to me. 
and I still have that itch. If you understand, like, uh, I still want to go out and meet other people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but taking into account, you know, how the market is essentially where there's barely any, um, like good women. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do in that case. Okay. So you guys are in an exclusive relationship right now? Yes, we are. Okay. And you want to kind of experience more? Exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, like you've got a few options, you know, you can just tell her that that's what you're going to do. You can do it anyway and not tell her or you can break up with her. Okay. Right. Okay, I mean, there's no magic this. formula. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Pretty much that just, I was just, uh, expecting something else. I don't know. Just in case. But yeah. I mean, like you got to ask yourself, like, what's the goal here? Like, uh, how old are you? 27. And plans are to have kids. Like, what are you going to do? That's the thing. Not at the moment. Not at the moment. Uh, right now. I'm st- yeah. Right now I'm still trying to figure myself out in regards to like, uh, what I'm trying to do. I'm currently, uh, enrolled. Like I spoke with you, uh, like, Four or five months ago uh, regarding the the business that I want to have I'm still working on that and I still don't have much of anything settled I'm working like physically uh, career-wise and I just have a lot like a long road ahead so I don't know like I'll so probably be complicating you, my life so no? do you really think that chasing girls is a good use of your time not at all kind of have your answer there then right okay I mean, you're going to have a, be- a better experience. Like if you want to be spoiled for choice and and have a better experience out there, dating, whatever, you're going to be far better off as a multimillionaire, you know, with an influential position in life, living in a nice house with cool friends, doing cool stuff rather than, you know, telling stories about how like I'm, I'm trying to get the business going, like I'm trying to get something to happen, you know, sort of thing. So, um it all depends on what your priorities are. I mean, there's some guys out there that are just obsessed with notch count and just getting out there. It's like, whatever, dude, you know, if that's, if that's, what's a priority to you, then go do that. Right. Um, doesn't sound like that's your priority though, the way you're explaining it. Not at all. It's just uh, being open to other experiences. It's not like I will go to the club searching, searching for everything. It's just that I had a couple of uh, opportunities before. Mm-hmm. And the main fact that I'm like in a relationship has kind of, you know, like what if, you know, and I'm kind of afraid of like having like years pass and not having those experiences, you know, I'll tell you something though. I mean, if, if you want to be spoiled for choice and have more than just one option and exercise options, um, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to have her, uh, agree to that or yield to it. Um, if you're not a high enough value guy. Okay. Understood. All All right, buddy. We'll see you soon. Thank Take you. Care. All right. Um, there are tons of women waiting at the finish line, my brother. There are no lies there. Uh, Ernesto says, with all due respect, how can you accurately vet all the red flags if you have one, ex- one year experience with a woman? He's right. Um, I think it's reasonable to say about a year and a half to two years will show you what she's really made of. And it's only if there's stress applied to the relationship. If everything's too easy you know, like slick Rick, there's no problems. Everything's well, you know, working well. Um, you need to add stress to the relationships. The only way you're going to see what she's made of is when things get difficult. I'm going to do one more here and then we're going to wrap up the show. Let's get DL Saint on. What's up, DL? Hey, what's good, brother? How you doing? Natch, one of my favorite movies. 
Hey, man, that's one of the greatest, man. I'm a huge Guy Ritchie fan, man. The Gentleman was cool, but Snatch is number one in my book, bro. Yeah, yeah. Lockstock, I think, is probably my favorite. Lockstock is your favorite. I was. It's just the 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 lines in Snatch were the best, bro. Yeah, yeah, what do yeah. I know about diamonds? That was just the best way to yeah. start a movie ever, man. So thanks for having me, man. Shout out to you, bro. Um, what's up? Uh, yo, a couple questions for you, man. I'm, okay. I'm I'm not worried about. I don't need any kind of relationship advice, but um, I'm new to this space, man. I'm getting a lot of young guys, a lot of young men, and some young women coming to me asking me a lot of questions, and I'm you know I'm a hard charger kind of guy. You see that flag behind me, airborne man. We move one way. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I need to soften. I need to soften a little bit. And I need to be wise. Let me get someone that's wiser than me. And uh, you might not be able to see it, but I got your book on the mantle right behind me. It's like awesome. right at the, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Unplug Alpha, one of the best books I've ever read, man. Shout Thank out you. to you. So um, in your opinion, why is it so difficult for men to cut away from these women? Like we had, uh, you had Brother Kevin on. Mm. And it sounds to me that he, he's like lost everything. He's lost so much. Why? why on my book a little bit. Are you familiar with the War Brides concept? No, I'm not. I've thought about this a lot. So women move very quickly and easily from one dude to another. And I think it's. Yes. Yes. I know where you're going with this. Yes. Being conquered. Yes. You know, it's part of evolution, right? You know, throughout history, women were protected. Men were sacrificed. They were always disposable uh, during conflicts, during wars. And like human beings as a species are, are a warring tribe. Like I remember I once saw this infographic. Try to slide over a little bit so you can see my hands. I saw this infographic, and the entire infographic was uh, was essentially the timeline throughout history and dots showing wars, and each dot represented one year. And the bigger the dot was, the longer the war lasted. Basically, the entire thing was freckles. Like the entire timeline was like just wars throughout history. So when you understand that we've been killing the shit out of each other for thousands of years. And it's not women that fight wars. It's generally men, as you know, you know, being a, you know, being the airborne, um, that women would have to adapt to move to one, like from one guy to the next guy, because back, you know, today it doesn't really matter so much. They've got government, they've got, you know, social assistance. There's programs that'll take care of them. A guy doesn't necessarily like, that's why women are all woman needs a man, like a fish needs a bicycle today. Right. But a thousand years ago, if she had a guy providing for the family and he died, you know, in a war was captured and put into slavery, she didn't really have very many options. She had to adapt to the captures. So I think that guys never really adapted to, um, and this isn't just my opinion, by the way, this is also covered in a lot of Evo psych books. It's just that I'm kind of taking it to, to the point that DL's making here. It's just guys never really adapted to the need to having to let go because letting go was always terminal, right? It was either dead, slavery, or dead, really, you know, is what it was. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe incarceration, you know, if they felt like keeping you alive, right? I guess the other choice, you conquer or you die or you get yeah. enslaved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so think, okay, now, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I think that's why women have a lot easier time moving from dude to dude. Because it's new for us. Yeah. That makes sense. I know. I mean, thanks. That makes sense. Um, a buddy of mine is an attorney. Uh, and he's in the, you know, family law game. He told me this, like, women plan, men react. Yeah. And I began to watch, you know, and listen to these questions I get from people. I'm like, damn, dude, you didn't, you're reacting to this plan. Yeah. So, and then, you know, it ties to your book. You, you kind of touch on that. You didn't use those words, but you, you touch on that. Um, and I'm always using your your terminology, man. I'm always, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Uh, women went at the finish line, do the work. I always shout you out when I do it. I'm always like, shout out to Rich Cooper. You. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to do that. Uh, my last question is this. Mm. I'm having a hard time 
getting through to the weird dudes. And I, I'm, I know it's a bad term to use, but you know what I mean? Those guys are just the awkward so guys. the awkward guys, the weird dudes, the guys who are so hardcore, you know, Rich Cooper said this, uh, Fresher Fist said that, Andrew Tate said this, and they, they got a checklist. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, bro, the world doesn't work according to your checklist. Mm -hmm. But if I go in too hard, they clam up. And if I don't go in hard enough, they feel yeah. emboldened. How, how do you tackle that? I know you've dealt with this. So I watched an interview with uh, David Buss's understudy. I can't remember his name right now. He's a Scottish guy. Um, and he did a long-term study on incels. And what he discovered was a lot of these guys that are like black pill, like these insoles, like the nihilist guys yes. that um, get really frustrated. They want to have, you know, like a relationship. They want to do well, but they don't actually want to do the work is what it seems. They want to like collab with one another and commiserate. Like they don't want to be told, oh, you're a pretty good looking guy. If you just, you know, cut your hair a little bit differently or you maybe uh, lost a little bit of weight, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear it's unfair. Women are terrible creatures. You're right. You know, they should just accept you for who you are. So I thought that was very interesting. That's, that's something that I haven't really, I don't think I've even talked about yet since I watched that interview. Um, but that's kind of what I've noticed over the last couple of years is you can tell them to do the work. You can tell guys to level up, to make more money, to be more competent. But they generally, like, once they read it, reach a point where, they, where they're just so frustrated, you can't tell them anything. They just don't want to hear it. You might as well talk to the wall, right? Yeah, um, good point. I've you don't seen have this. an audience. You don't have an audience. So it's like, I just get to the point where it's like, you know what? It's wonderful talking to you. Bless and release. Like, this guy that I had on Saturday, uh, you know, Moffs and a chap. Uh, I can't remember his name. His real real name was Matt. He had it in there. Um, but he was like this religious zealot. And he was like, you know, I read your book and this line doesn't make sense. And this line doesn't make sense. And this, this, and the other thing. And it's like, it's because you don't want it to make sense. It's because your ego investments are too far gone. Just like the guys that are like, you know, my ego investment is because my jawline's not right, or I'm just not tall enough, or my skin yeah. color is wrong, or whatever it happens to be. I don't have enough hair. I'm just never going to make it, right? It's just not fair because the chads are getting all the girls, right? So there's those guys too, but there's nothing that you can do. It's like, you know, you know, you have the conversation. Maybe you get some good content out of it. <laughs> it happens from time to time. Right. But the bottom line, they're simply not ready. Yeah. yeah, they're I, simply not ready. You got to wait for them to kind of... Yeah. Get ready and they'll come back. And and last thing before I go, bro, what's your favorite line from Snatch, man? Favorite line? Oh man, there's too many. I can't I can't get to one. Probably probably anything that Mickey said. Anything that Mickey said? Yeah, my <laughs> favorite is getaway driver. You like that? He's gonna get away from. Oh, you like Dax? Dax? <laughs> oh, dogs? Yeah, I like Dax. <laughs> like dogs. Yeah. All right, Thank you, yeah. brother. Pleasure talking to Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show. Go check out Moff on Stereo. Um, if you guys want to call in on on, on his stuff, um, go find him there. Uh, yeah, good show tonight. Thanks, everybody, for calling in, contributing, and uh, sharing some experiences and stories and asking a question somewhere. <laughs> one from Harriet was like, I didn't, I didn't even know what to do with that, man. It just didn't make any sense. She didn't even have a question, to be honest with you. Any guys, uh, see you guys in the next one. And uh, Kevin, stick around. I'll uh, pull you in when everybody's off and we'll chat privately.